This is the Value Investor Podcast with Tracy Reinick. All things value, all the time. Welcome back, value investors. So there's a lot of noise out there right now. Here in January 2023, there's been a rally in growth stocks, especially big cap tech that's rallied big. And my advice would be for all the value investors is don't chase it. There's a lot of FOMO going on right now to start 2023. The fear of missing out of, you know, oh, maybe I should have bought some of those Fangman stocks on that sell-off. Oh, they're going to be soaring again. I'm going to miss it. I need to get in here, even though I missed the beginning of the rally two months ago. And so there is a lot of that uh, FOMO out there. And again, my advice is don't chase it. But usually the companies that led the last bull, as I've mentioned before, don't lead the next one. We just think they do. So uh, psychology, emotions all lead us to think, oh, you know, Fangman, that was the big winners for the last decade. This is a sell-off in them. They're rebounding here, and we're gonna we're gonna go back to what we were doing before. And the odds are, and history tells us that we may not, we probably aren't going back to what was going on before. So again, the last bulls market, the ones that led that don't usually lead the next one. And valuations will matter. The old winners will really need to get super dirt cheap before Um, It's really time to jump in. And most of them simply aren't that cheap. They're cheaper. They've come down off of the really high valuations that we saw in, say, 2021. But they're not actually cheap. It just seems like it. Psychology is working on us uh, because we were used to buying Microsoft at 30 times earnings and we thought nothing of it. Like, of course, I'm buying it here at 30 times because it's got the growth. It's got, you know, the sales. It's everything is humming. And so now it's dropped down to 25 times. But is that cheap? I don't feel like that's really cheap on a valuation basis. It's certainly not a value stock. I looked at its price to sales ratio. It's still at 8.8. And if you go back and look at Microsoft and what happened to the valuations of that stock in the dot-com bust, for instance, after it was trading at like 50 times earnings in 1999, it traded way, way down. The price to sales went way down under five times before it finally bottomed. And then it just kind of stayed at the bottom as I've recounted many times on the podcast, um, you know, for years, a decade or more. So it's, uh, you know, these ones that led don't necessarily lead again. It took literally over 20 years for Microsoft to be like back, you know, in in uh, the lead role back as one of the big winners back um, as like, you know, one of the Fangman stocks, like a tech titan once again. And so I'm asking you to kind of look beyond some of those stocks because in the case of Microsoft, that price to sales ratio of 8.8, that's gonna go a lot lower like it did in the last bust. And so there is no fear of missing out because there's going to be plenty of time 
for these stocks to still get to a valuation where we as value investors want them to get there, where where they are truly deals. You're not gonna miss out. Um, so it's gonna take time to get there, don't panic. Another one I was kind of watching that reported this week as well here um, at the end of 2020, uh, January 2023 is Intuitive Surgical, ticker ISRG. It's also been a big winner of the last 20 years. For those who don't know, they make the Da Vinci surgical system. It is this innovative cutting edge system that the doctors use for surgery, obviously. Um, sales and earnings growth has been you know, through the roof since they started selling it many years ago. But in this last earnings report that they just gave, they did guide lower for the Da Vinci Code procedures in 2023 because it's slowing even, even for this great system. And But looking at the valuation, you might not know that things are slowing. So um, shares are up because it has joined in on this growth rally that I was just mentioning, this fear of missing out rally. And they're up 15% in the last six months. Over the last year, they're actually down 11%. That's not even that bad of a pullback, right? Um, so it has pulled back, but it hasn't like plunged like some stocks like Meta or Shopify, some of those. But look at valuations. PE is still at 48 times. Wow. Still at up there. People still believing, even though they're now guiding lower on the procedures still at 48 times. Price to sales, 14.7. So that's extremely high as well. Um, the, the growth stock is over scenario is not really being played out yet in intuitive surgical. So you may, you may be having fear of missing out on this one because it's up 15% in the last six months. And you're like, oh, I missed the bottom. But have you? In a true market correction, all the valuations come down. Some will never get dirt cheap. Some will never become true value stocks with a PE under 15 and a low price to sales ratio. But they usually don't stay this elevated. And intuitive surgical has been expensive for many years. And so this PE is not a shock. But in a uh, bear market type of correction with growth stocks, this PE should not be this elevated. So warning on some of those. That's what I mean about it taking time for some of these big growth names to really see their bottoms. And so I'm staying away from all of those. And I'm looking outside of last year's winners, the last couple of years even, for what will be winners in 2023. Um, so in the 2000-2002 bust, the manager of the Janus 20, I've talked about that fund before, That's was at that time the equivalent of ARK-K was the Janus 20. It was a mutual fund. We all put money into it. It was the best performer. Uh, assets under management like doubled over $20 billion at one point. It's the similar story as Kathy Wood at ARK. And at that time, what was driving Janus 20 and its great gains, it only had 20 stocks, that, that portfolio. That's why it was called Janus 20, 20 big caps, but it had Cisco. 
And Cisco was one of the best performing stocks of the 1990s, up over 10,000%. And then it wasn't, then it didn't in the bust. And so uh, funds like this, like Janus 20, had to adjust when growth went out of favor in 2000 to 2002. So it owned Cisco, it owned AOL Time Warner, and uh, the manager of Janus 20 in uh, interviews later has said he regretted holding on to some of these big growthy names and technology names as long as he did. And but he finally did end up selling some of them and getting into what then was value names. And some of the ones he got into by 2004 were Exxon and then Home Depot. Both of them were in bull markets. Remember what was happening by like mid 2000s, it was the housing boom that was all going on and we were all remodeling and uh, flipping homes and all that stuff. So Home Depot was a hot stock then. Exxon was hot because energy was back in a bull market. So he did ultimately rotate over into those. Now Janus 20 was not either a value or a growth fund, but it just owned all those growthy big cap tech names because it was mandated to uh, you know, be in that like kind of hot names. And that's why it was only the top, you know, 20 that were um, you know, big caps though. And so it ended up with these growth names because that's what was in in the in the 90s. But it could switch over to whatever was just hot. It didn't have to be a growth, so it did. It ultimately ended up in Home Depot and Exxon because value was hot. And so it rotated over into those. So looking at Kathy at uh, ARK-K, she has a mandate of innovation. That has also been growth as long as she's run these funds since 2014. So similar scenario, but it could be value. She's just not in the innovative names that are value stocks. That doesn't mean she won't get into them going forward. So for instance, she owns uh, Exact Sciences, which is a uh, cancer screening company. You know, they, they make Cologuard that screens for colon cancer. And that's her biggest holding in ARK-K. But there are other companies that are also doing diagnostics and cancer uh, screenings and, um, you know, uh, well, I'll get into what they do. <laughs> but there's other companies doing this. And she uh, could own some of them that may have a better valuation. So, for instance, one of those that I've run across in the recent couple of months here is called Lantheus. It's ticker LNTH. It is a diagnostics company. That's how they describe themselves. They've been around for 60 years. So you might think, well, what's new with them? But in 2021, they got a new product approved by the FDA. And it's called, and I'm gonna I'm gonna butcher this as I always do, Pylarify. Pylarify, I think it is. And what that is, is an imaging agent for detection of suspected reoccurrent or metastatic prostate cancer. And so what it does is it's a tool that doctors can use, they can order it, and it gives even a better image of the prostate cancer 
so that doctors can decide what type of treatment the patient should be doing going forward. And you might think, oh, that's not that big a deal. It's not like Cologuard, which is detecting the cancer, it's just showing a better image. But prostate cancer, um, there's a lot of different strategies that the patient can take based on what the cancer is doing. So if you can get a better image, sharper, clearer uh, image of what is happening in the prostate, then you might have different choices or different treatment options. So suddenly this test is many in the field and doctors who specialize in prostate cancer have said that it's a game changer for them giving them another tool to find, fight, and follow the disease. That's the motto of Lanthius now, find, they're finding it, they're gonna, they can fight it. If they find it, then they can follow it. And this test allows them because prostate, you can follow that cancer for numerous years. And so this allows doctors uh, another tool, as I said, in treating it. So they started rolling it out to the doctors. They're doing what exact science had to do with Cologuard. You have to you know, show it to the doctors, show them what it can do convince them they need to do this for their patients. So they order it as a test. That hasn't been difficult because the doctors are excited about this test. So they um, have had a lot of success. They rolled it out starting in 2021. Last year was the first big year that they've seen orders coming in for it. So in the third quarter, that's the last quarter we have for them. Third quarter of 2022, revenue was up 134% for Lanthius to 239 million from 102 million the year before. Um, free cash flow, look what's happening there. It was 87.5 million in the quarter. That's up from 1.9 million the year before. So <laughs> that's what one big product can do for some of these companies. That's up 85.6 million year over year. That's a game changer too for this company to have that kind of free cash flow coming in. So they raised guidance for the full year for revenue from about 885 to 905 million, 905 million to 915 to 919 million. So just under a billion. Uh, but the analysts all see them going well over a billion for next year as this test picks up steam. Now, this is just, I believe, being offered in the US. I'm not sure about international. I'm not sure if they have European approval for it yet, but there are other markets, not just the United States, right? So these shares, one year Lanthia shares are up 110%, but they have fallen off their peak in this growth stock sell-off. So uh, over the last three months, down 25%. So the shares have gotten cheaper. The PE was around 16 times a couple months ago, now around 13 times or 12.9. Price to sales is 4.7, price to book is 5.9. So those numbers are a little elevated still, but we're in the early stages of this product rollout. They do have several other products too. And I encourage you to go look at those. So this is not the only item that's bringing in money for them. Uh, but this free cash flow, you know, gives them options, uh, allows them to spend more on sales force to get this test out into further places. Um, other R&D, 
maybe some acquisitions in other areas in this area because uh, this kind of area and what exact science is in the cancer testing, this uh, kind of test that shows you what's going on, that is all a big and growing area now in medical, uh, in healthcare. So these companies, again, early stages, the analysts, as I said, do have uh, revenue over a billion dollars in 2023. Earnings are expected to be up another 11%. Of course, they soared in 2022. They will report again for fourth quarter report in late February. So you might want to tune in. They were a smaller cap. They are a little bit bigger now, but they're still relatively small at 3.7 billion. So I'd put them in a mid cap. But even though this is in the wheelhouse of a Kathy Wood and ARC Innovation, it's not in any of her portfolios. It's not in RK. And I took a look at genomics to see if it was in there. It's not in there. But she could own some stocks like this that have both growth and the innovation side and the value as well going forward. So that's what we're going to start to see with some of these managers um, as we go forward who were in the growth, but not necessarily growth stock fund managers, but who were in these kind of innovative things, they will start to look at value as Janice 20 did. And that is what will drive the next kind of bullish areas are the value stocks being bought up by Kathy Wood. So we'll we'll tune in when she starts buying Lanthius for one of her funds, but so far not yet. Interestingly, I did take a look to see what large mutual funds do own Lanthius. You can get that info on Yahoo Finance. And it's in like a couple index funds, not surprisingly. It's in Vanguard's small cap index because it was a small cap. It does have the 3.7 billion. So I'm not sure what Vanguard's cutoff is for small cap, but um, it the cap has raised. So it might get kicked out of there and get put in the mid cap index soon enough. Um, it is in, however, the Vanguard small cap growth fund. It's in Lord Abbott Developing Growth Fund. So you can see a lot of growth funds, not surprising. And also though, however, the T. Rowe Price Small Cap Value Fund. And I took a look at that fund because that's a mutual fund. It is actively managed. Lanthius is not in the top 10% of the portfolio, but it was interesting for me to see what was. So it has 348 holdings, Oh, what is the ticker on that one? It is, um, it's one of the long five letters ones. Oh boy, did I write it down? I know I did. Oh, here we go. PRSVX is the ticker for that one. But it looks like it's in mostly like IRAs, 401ks. It's a kind of fund that's held in like a lot of retirement funds. But I wanted to see, it's actively managed. He owns Lanthius. What else does he own? What's in the top 10%? And so there were some interesting names in there. There were two smaller oil producers. So of course I was interested in those, as you know. Um, who am I to say no to any small cap oil producers? I'm not. But uh, some of the other names were also interesting. There was a couple banks. There were a couple like uh, consumer discretion and a utility. So no tech was in there for the top 10. Not surprising because this is the value side. A lot of the tech names, even the small caps, haven't come down enough to really qualify to be in 
a value fund, even actively managed, even stretching the criteria. A lot of them have not fallen back down. So uh, this is where you're looking now for the next bull is in these other areas. So I thought I'd take a look at what are some in the top 10 here that he's holding. What? Why does he think that these are the ones out of 348 holdings that he wants to, you know, emphasize? And I took a look at the first at those two energy companies. So they are Matador Resources, ticker MTDR. It is a number five strong sell on Zacks.com right now. And a lot of energy is fours or fives because all those estimates are being cut for 2023 as the oil price and natural gas prices have come down. So they little bit too bullish on 2023, the estimates are coming down, they're all number fives. But long-term, I still like all of these stocks and the Zacks rank is a short-term criteria. So Matador PE is just 7.2. Over the last three months, the shares are down 2.7%, but they have rallied year to date up 13.4%. Over the last two years, as energy best performers, it's up 332%, but still cheap. It does pay a dividend. Dividend is 0.6% yield. In December, it raised it 50% from 10 cents a share a quarter to 15 cents. And they're paying that next one out, the 15 center, in March of 2023. I don't know what the cutoff is to actually be a shareholder to get it. You might have missed it already, but you'd have to check into that to see if you could get that dividend. Um, Earnings, 2021, they made 424. 2022, as all the prices soared, 1052. 2023, 879. So down 16%, not terrible, still over double 2021. I'll take it if they can get that double over 2021 and the price these shares come down. So Matador, they drill in Wolf Camp and Bone Spring in the Delaware Basin. That's in Southeast New Mexico and West Texas. They're also in the Eagle Ford Shale in South Texas and Haynesville Shale in Cotton Valley in Northwest Louisiana and East Texas. Uh, In addition to raising that dividend, yes, they've been paying down the dividend or the debt with all of this great free cash flow from the last year. So over the last two years, they've reduced their debt by 775 million. Their leverage ratio is now at an all-time low of just 0.2. So this is where I why and uh, this is why I like the energy here even still in 2023. Last year was a boom year. They were smart. A lot of the companies paid down a lot of the debt in addition to the variable dividends and share buybacks and everything else they were doing. They have not increased CapEx for the most part, but they will start using some of the cash now to drill more, explore more. They will invest some more of that money now because they paid down a lot of the debt. So these companies are now even leaner, lean, mean fighting machines, as I like to call them, and still cheap. So this is what I want to own. And especially WTI still hovering there right around 80 they are going to make money at that level. The second company is Magnolia Oil and Gas, ticker MGY. I own that one in my own personal portfolio, um, as many of you know, and it's in my value investor portfolio here at Saks. So they operate in South Texas in Eagle Ford and the Austin Chalk. 
They already announced some of their production guidance there for 2023, and they do expect to generate a full year production growth of 10%. So they have been investing in increasing that production a bit here, even though some of the others have not. But they're small, so they can they can do it, <laughs> and nobody's going to complain. Uh, they're also cheap, 7.2 times similar to Matador. And they are completely unhedged. They were one of the few that were unhedged even two years ago, but most of the uh, producers are now unhedged as well. So that does not give them an advantage, but it did initially. So 2021 earnings, $2.42. 2022, $4.44. 2023, back down to $3.25. So that's down 26.8%. But again, still higher than 2021. Over the last two years, these shares up 171%. Three months, they're down 8.8. Over the last month, they're still down 4.7. They do now pay a dividend. They were paying it twice a year. They've switched to quarterly now. It's 10 cents a quarter, yielding 1.7%. They were also doing a massive share buyback buying up to 10% of the shares, uh, but um, and they have been doing that, but they did say they're going to reevaluate the dividend again in February, see where free cash flows stand, where crude price and uh, natural gas prices are standing, and then uh, think about uh, any kind of special dividend or anything like that. We'll see if they announce anything. They may not now that crude prices have come way down, they have been conservative in the past. And so not wanting to get over, uh, you know, optimistic about the free cash flow and where crude is going. And I like that. I like that in these energy producers that they are being cautious still. They'll report again on February 14th with their conference call on the 15th. So we'll find out then what they're seeing in the market and with the dividend and these uh, you know, share buybacks and other things. So that's Magnolia Oil and Gas MGY. So then I was looking at some of the others on the list, and there were a few that I was not that familiar with. One of them was UFP Industries. Its ticker is UFPI. They also have a bigger market cap because these shares, um, you know, are were smaller, got a little bit bigger during the pandemic. So, but they he's still owning them. He's not selling out just because of market cap, it looks like. So UFP Industries, market cap of $5.5 billion, so a little bit bigger on the mid-cap size now. They're in wood products, it says on Zax.com. So founded in 1955, so 68 years in business now as of this year, headquartered in Grand Rapids. They're now a holding company in three different markets, retail, industrial, and construction. So retail is the outdoor living brands of like ProWood, deck orators, and that is uh, pressure treated lumber for decks and outdoors, and decorators, composite decking and railing, that's some of its big products. Their customers are builders, um, home improvement stores, you can go to Home Depot and buy this, people doing home remodeling, all of that. Um, so that's a big, big area. There's second category, UFP construction, that's roof trusses, floor systems, that goes to major builders. 
Then they have UFP industrial, that's wood and non-wood packaging solutions that goes to multinational companies. They make pallets, stuff like that. Um, some, they did say some segments do surge, serve as a hedge to the volatile lumber prices. So lumber prices soared last year, then came way down. They are, they are on the up uptick again. Um, I, I thought they were maybe done with these extreme swings from the pandemic, but I follow a couple of lumber accounts on Twitter and they're they're tracking it higher again and saying like, oh, we could we're seeing you know a bit of a a gain again in lumber prices. So to eliminate some of that volatility, the company has some segments that are fixed price so that they're more diverse and they're not just reliant on lumber prices. Um, they're doing a lot. They had great year years during the pandemic. Home building soared, you know, home remodeling, same thing. We we're all putting out decks for our staycations on the back. Consumers had all this money, they're spending it on their homes. So they've been doing share repurchases, acquisitions, raising their CapEx, they raise dividends. Uh, their dividend is yielding 1.1% right now, but they did raise it 33% last year. The stock is pretty volatile. If you go in there and look, that's typical of a small cap, but even some of these mid caps because the street just doesn't follow it. So you kind of are, you're buying for the longer term and you're just buying and holding it. Basically, they did have a record third quarter. Over the last year, um, shares are up 6.8%. Over the last two years, they're up 46.9. And then over the last month, they're up 12, but they were down big prior to that. So you can see if you're looking at it on a shorter term basis, it's a lot more volatile. You got to have a strong stomach. That's why they're paying the dividend. They're shareholder friendly because that helps me to stay in. Now, the RSX number five because um, those earnings are also being cut here going into um, you know, this new 2023 because lumber prices have come down and home building has slowed sharply. Consumer will probably slow, so they're gonna be putting on less decks. All of these reasons, it's come down. PE is just 11, so it's still cheap, um, but you know, there's similar to the energy, it is in the commodity side and on the consumer side. So a little bit more rocky, but been around in business 68 years. And also saw an interesting thing on their website that said that all managers at the company are required, required to own the stock. So I find that to be a good sign. It makes them have skin in the game. They're required to hold it as well as I am holding it as a shareholder. So keep that in mind. That's UFP Industries, UFPI. They haven't reported yet, I don't think. No, that was record third quarter. So we're still waiting on the next earnings report on them. And then I looked at one of the one REIT that was on the top 10, because I am curious about the REITs. And I never heard of this one. It's called Terreno Realty, ticker T-R-N-O. And remember, the REITs have a special tax issues. They're paying out 80% of their income to the shareholders. It is considered differently than like a dividend payout is. So consult your tax advisors before you buy any REIT so that you know how it works and what is going to happen. But Terreno 
It acquires, owns, and operates industrial real estate in six major coastal markets in the in the U.S. Those are Los Angeles, Northern New Jersey, and New York City, the San Francisco Bay Area, Seattle, Miami, and Washington D.C. So those are heavily populated, growing cities. Um, that's where they want to be. They're based in San Francisco. They own 252 billion buildings. They have 575 customers. They said. And as of December 31st, 2022, they were 98.6% leased. And that's up from the prior year at the end of 2021, they were only 95.5%. So you like seeing those kind of numbers if you're owning a REIT. Remember, you're the landlord if you own the REIT. So you want it to be completely leased, and this is close to that at 98.6%. Now, how about that dividend? It is yielding 2.5%. So um, you can decide whether or not that's the type of REIT you want. And if you want to be on this industrial side of things, that's not my favorite area in real estate, but some people it might be. So it clearly is for Toronto Realties Management, right? They are... Um, you know, dedicated to that area. So if that's the area of real estate you want to be in, this is an easy way to get into it. Over the last year, the shares are down 15.3%. The last three months, though, they've caught a bid up 18.1. And over the last month, up 8.2. Now, they aren't cheap on a PE basis. They're trading at 29 times. So this manager might have bought it in this fund at a much cheaper valuation you know, maybe a couple of years ago and has just continued to own it, but price to book is just 2.2. So that's very, you know, cheap. That's a value price to book ratio. So that could be in play here. Who cares as much about the PE? We care about these other things with real estate. So price to book 2.2. Uh, what have earnings been doing? 2021 made $1.71, 2022, $1.97. 2023 expect to be up 9% to 2.15. So this is one of the few where 2023 is actually looking better than 2022. It is, however, a Zach's number four sell because one estimate has been lowered for 2023 in the last month as they did report um, fourth quarter early in the month. So analysts were just adjusting 2023. Doesn't mean it's doomed, you know, obviously, because they're looking for it to be up 9% here. And so that's how the Zach's rank looks. It looks at the estimates, whether or not those are being cut or raised. So the analysts got a little bit too bullish on 2023 and had to uh, adjust lower a little bit. And that's how you get the estimates being cut there. But, um, you know, I expect that to uh, adjusts itself going forward here, unlike the others where, yeah, the estimates are being cut pretty dramatically on the uh, wood products and the energy stocks. So those are just a couple that were in this T. Rowe Price small cap value fund. And it made me think as I was looking at them and writing this up for today's podcast, you know, if you are looking for small cap value ideas, you can do what I just did for this podcast and take a look at some of the top holdings in mutual funds um, or actively managed ETFs. 
I'm not aware of any actively managed value ETF, but maybe I'll have to have Nina on the show and we could discuss that, whether there are any. There might be some coming forward, right? As value becomes more popular, there will be rollouts of ETFs where you will want it to be actively managed then. And like there was with innovation and growth with Kathy Wood. She rolled that out because there was demand for actively managed ETFs. So we could see that maybe with some value funds going forward if there's not already, because we know how the ETF industry works. They do jump on the trends. So I will be interested to see if we have any surge in value going forward here in the next year or two. But for now, it's mostly mutual funds. So you can take a look at mutual funds that are actively managed. You don't want any of these that, um, you know, they're just basically using a computer. Like the Vanguard funds are, you know, there's like 800 stocks in there. That's not going to help you to go look at that. But the pure ETFs or, um, yeah, like some of the pure ones that are actively managed. What am I thinking? Those are ETFs, I believe. Um, so there are some value ETFs that are actively managed that those pure ones are, they they hold only like a little over 100 stocks in them. And so there is a manager who's partially involved in like deciding what goes in those. So you might want to take a look there or look at mutual funds. There's plenty of uh, actively managed mutual funds that aren't just following the index or using a computer to generate it and throwing them in there. But uh, you know, you're gonna have to dig around a little bit and see what is what. I managed to find one, this T Rowe Price small cap ETF, ticker PRSVX. P is in Paul, R is in Robert, S is in Sam, V is in Victor, X is in X-ray. The manager on this fund is David Wagner. He's been the fund manager since 2014. He's been at T. Rowe Price his whole career for 22 years. So you can go and look at his bio and see what else he's invested in in this fund. Um, but this is a good place to find some small cap value ideas if you're not screening them on like a place like zax.com and you want to kind of pick the brain of other people <laughs> who've been doing it a long time. Uh, like people did with growth with Kathy Wood. She puts all her holdings out there. You can see what they're in. You can follow along if you want. And on these, it's not as transparent. It, you know, it's not, they're not giving updates in the mutual funds on every buy daily, like Kathy does with ARC, but you can still go in there quarterly and you can see what's at least in the top holdings and take a deeper dive into some of those names like we just did. And yeah, we found some some interesting smaller caps that turned out to be kind of mid caps, but still, um, you know, some new names, a new place to go and look because if we're in this new trend of value, which it looks like we are, it's still going on, um, then there will be new leaders. And so now our goal as value investors is to find the cheap value stocks that are going to be the ones with the growth who will be the leaders in the next uh, bullish type cycle. There always is one. We're already kind of in one in energy, as you've seen, the best performing sector the last two years. That's a bull. But what else will be joining it? We don't yet know for sure. 
but we can get some ideas by looking at what the holdings are, what's in these funds, what is a value stock, and all that we know is it doesn't look like it's going to be tech, right? There's there's not the tech, small cap tech, even in this top 10. So keep that in mind. Do not panic that you're going to miss out on the next big thing because the next big thing is already happening and it's happening in value. So let me recap the stock tickers I talked about. There was Lantheus that has that great imaging product and it's come down quite a bit off its highs and is now a lot cheaper. Um, it is in the value range, but could it get even cheaper still when, when or if growth stocks sell off further? It's possible. So that one is Lanthus, Lanthus Holdings, L-N-T-H. Then we had a couple energy stocks. These are on the producer side, not the services. These are the producers, the drillers. Matador, ticker MTDR, and Magnolia, ticker MGY. Then we had the wood products company. Um, that could be a little bit dicier with home building slowing dramatically and the consumer may be slowing putting those decks on, but we'll see. That ticker is UFPI or UFP Industries. And then we had the REIT, Toronto Realty. This is industrial in six cities, ticker TRNO. And as always, up. Oh, I don't want to forget the growth stocks. I guess I should list those too. There's always Microsoft, ticker MSFT, and Intuitive Surgical. That's the one trading at 48 times. Love the company, but just too pricey for this value investor. Needs to come back down, ticker ISRG. I is in uh, Ian, S is in Sam, R is in Robert, G as in George. So now I can say, as always, I'm bringing you as many value stocks as I can every week, and there's plenty out there. So you want to be sure to subscribe, get us on Apple Podcasts, we're on Spotify, we're on Amazon Music, we're on anywhere you can get podcasts, you know where to find us. You can get us on Zax.com too. Um, we're right there, but I know most of you are on Apple, so just go on Apple and get us on Apple Podcasts. But be sure to get us somewhere. I'll be back next week with some more value stocks. This material is being provided for informational purposes only, and nothing herein constitutes investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, or a recommendation to buy, sell, or hold a security. Do not act or rely upon the information and advice given in this podcast without seeking the services of competent and professional legal, tax, or accounting counsel. Publication and distribution of this podcast is not intended to create, and the information contained herein does not constitute an attorney-client relationship. No recommendation or advice is being given as to whether any investment or strategy is suitable for a particular investor. It should not be assumed that any investments in securities, companies, sectors, or markets identified described were or will be profitable. All information is current as of the date herein and is subject to change without notice. Any views or opinions expressed may not reflect those of Zach's investment research as a whole.